alluded to it, but I, I got here this morning. I was really not ready to be here or to do this today. I've got uh, a very small head and a lot of stuff filling it to bursting, and I'm a little overwhelmed by my own life. You know, These are one of those days where I remember I'm not just a preacher but a human being, and I'm not a very stable one right now. So I, I thank you because this morning I got here, and the church really ministered to me. I was such a I was in, I was so mental this morning when I got here. You should have seen me. I was uh, introducing myself again to people I've already met, and I was blabbing nonsense to people trying to talk to me. And then uh, I got in here, and, and people this morning at our 9:30 prayer meeting just prayed for me. Uh, Heath laid hands on me and prayed while we were just getting ready for worship. Praise team, y- your ministry this morning really got my heart going. Now I, I wonder if we could just pause and just give a. a I appreciation, applause to our praise because they really get so little recognition for what they do every week. Can we just clap for them? We're so blessed to have a praise team that is gifted and committed to the Lord. And uh, this morning, I got to tell you, it, it really got my heart in the right place. And then, Kim, your prayer just really uh, touched and blessed me. So thank you for ministering to me as a church today. It's great to be a part of this church. I have a few announcements I want to share with you. Um, one of them is about last year's retreat. If you were able to come and you got blessed by the messages, but you never picked up the CDs, or if you happen to miss our retreat, we have the full set of CDs from Dr. Steve's messages available uh, as a package for you for sale. I think the price is very reasonable. I don't know what it is, but I remember it was five bucks. <sighs> five bucks. Four messages. That's a pretty good price. And so if you want to pick up the album of CDs from last year's retreat, they are well worth listening to. Also, if you're interested in helping us plan this year's retreat, there's going to be a retreat planning team meeting today at noon led by Jonathan Young Lee. Uh, If you're willing to help us out, we really do need your help to prepare for a great retreat this year. Also want to just make a note that our admin assistant, Susie, she's actually going to be gone for about a week and a half in Korea. She is accompanying her family. They're laying her grandmother to rest who passed away this past week. And uh, please keep her in your prayers. Um, And this week and a half, we're also going to realize fully how much we depend on her as a church. And if you would keep us in prayers, that things would not just fall apart because she does so much to keep this church running. And please forgive us if we're not as accessible or responsive to you in the next couple weeks in Susie's absence. Many others are going to step up and try to fill her shoes as much as they can, but please be aware of that. Um, Also... Uh, there's going to be an HIV-AIDS conference that's going to take place on May 12th. This is not just for people in full-time ministry, but this is an open invitation to our church and to all the other area churches. And so we're, we're expecting a good turnout. We're asking some you know, people who are convicted about the AIDS crisis globally and locally to come listen to some great speakers, and they will help you get connected to something you can do now to get involved locally to respond to the scourge of AIDS in our generation, in our nation. So please keep that on your calendars. Also, I I mentioned the retreat that's coming up. I want to ask you to hold the dates in your calendar this year. It's June 8th through the 10th. And uh, please do not schedule anything of lesser importance on those dates. I I really think it's important because we only have one retreat every single year that you try your best to be with us. Can I just see a quick show of hands? Who's planning to be at our retreat? Would you just show your hands if you're planning to register? All right. Okay, thank you. And uh, the rest of you who did not raise your hands, uh, we have a camera hidden up there. I'm going to be talking with each of you personally to find out what's keeping you from coming to be with us. It's a very important time of the year for us as a church. 
Also keep in mind that April 29th, Compassion Sunday is going to take place. This is something we do every year to promote the ministry of Compassion International and invite you to take your part in helping some of the kids in the world whose parents are unable to take care of them because they are completely living in poverty or because their parents have died. And so we want to ask you to come and generously support, uh, consider supporting a child through Compassion International. Ed Sung is the one who spearheads that effort at our church, and I think they have some really great promotional materials this year to help us uh, get involved with that ministry. There's also a soccer league you should know about. Um, if you're interested in playing soccer with us, it's a great way to get to know the other, other people in the church. I almost said other men, but I do believe it's still an open invitation to everybody. Is that right? Where's Hans? Everyone can come, right? Where's, yeah? Okay. All right. Uh, and last but not least, are Ed and Cindy in the room right now? Are you guys here? And Alice and Olivia, could you guys come to the front real quick? <clears throat> They're in big trouble. Come on, let's go. Do you know what these people are doing? They're going to Africa in less than two weeks. We'll be accompanied by a woman named Helen Park from Hanmi Church and six other folks from City View Presbyterian Church in the city, as well as two people, John and Esther Kim, from Ann Arbor uh, at Harvest Mission Community Church out there. And so we have a, a team, a total of uh, 14 adults. In addition to us that you see here, Alice and Olivia are bringing their two small kids, Madeline and Luke, and I'm bringing my oldest kid, Noah. And so we have a team of 17. And I just wanted to introduce you to the team. I know we've been doing some fundraising activities, and in my, my mental state, I, I just realized we've never introduced the team formally to the church which is really messed up because we're leaving in two weeks. I, I apologize for that. I want you to see who it is from your congregation who's going to be serving the Lord in our medical outreach to Kenya. And we're excited because, you know, not too long ago we had a major fundraising drive for a mortuary project that's going to really forward the mission of Capsuar Hospital. And it's already, they've broken ground. They're well underway in construction. And our team is going to get to, a chance to go and see the progress that's been made and all the good things that are going on at that hospital firsthand. Can I just invite you quickly, we're, not, we're going to pray a little longer for the team next Sunday. Can I just invite you quickly to bow with me for a, a word of prayer? God, I thank you for those people you've raised up to obey your call in their hearts. For many, it's been a scary decision. Lord, especially in view of some of the, the conditions right now in the area we intend to visit, we know, God, that it was an ap absolute act of faith and obedience. And I thank you, Lord for breaking through and reaching the hearts of these team members. I thank you even for the further act of faith that, that Alice and Olivia are able to bring their children with them. And, Lord God, that we are, we are standing ready to serve you no matter what. I thank you for that servant's attitude that is in each member of this team. I also give you glory because through this trip, four churches are going to get to join hands and erase the boundaries and, and territorial barriers that exist so often between churches and stand together as one body in Christ on the same team. And I pray that you will unite our team truly behind that and bless our efforts to do this, Lord, under the banner of Jesus Christ who brings us together. Bless us in our final preparations. Lord, we are trusting you for the last bit of money to come in and for a generosity to be poured out from our church and from all our friends and family so that we might be able to go, Lord, fully funded, fully equipped, fully prayed for, and we ask, God, that you would, you would allow our congregation to stand with us as well through prayer so that we do not just go by ourselves, but we go together on behalf of an entire church. And we pray your blessings personally upon each of these as they may come under spiritual attack. Bless them, protect them, 
so that their hearts might stand firm and devoted to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys go down and see? As they're making their way to their seats... I also want to let you know, last week we did a, a sale of logo wear items. We had camp chairs and coffee mugs and a bunch of clothes. And people were asking about different color options and logo options and all of that. And we've expanded your options like crazy. I've worked very hard this week to give you as much choice as possible so that there's no barrier to your ordering. Because we want you to get excited wearing Harvest stuff. And we need your money to get this team out there on, on the field. All right? I'm not going to lie to you about it. You've you got to spend some money to send this team. So rather than just a flat-out donation, you're going to get to take home something you'll really enjoy wearing. We've got new product guides that show all your color options. To give you an idea, with the polo shirts alone, I think there's 12 options of colors that you can choose from. So you can dress in style. Your whole new spring wardrobe is set. And we've added six new items to our product line. Children's items from infants' bibs all the way through youth jackets. So if you have little kids you want to shop for, man, go for it. All right? This is the last day of the sale. And so please, please be generous and send this team out to the field, would you? I want you to rise to your feet. Uh, we got a, a sermon to get through yet, so let's, let's walk around a little bit and greet the people near us, and then we'll have a seat. All right, folks, why don't we start slowly making our way back to our seats. Well, today I'm going to be finishing up the sermon series I began uh, a little while ago. Pastor Frank and I have been preaching through the topic of marriage and relationships. And I need you to know that this morning... The message may seem on the surface to address only the context of marriage, but you'll learn some principles that if you apply them to all the relationships in your life, you'll find that God's design works, and it is the way by which you will actually enjoy every relationship that touches your life. I'm not saying that just to sell it to you. I'm not exaggerating. If you get these principles, you will begin to see fruit being born in every relationship of your life. But the most visible and obvious context of this message is going to be about marriage and and family, okay? Now, I I heard about this hilarious typo in a church bulletin some time ago. The difference that one letter makes. It said, change your wife through the power of prayer. (laughs) That's pretty hilarious. In case you missed it or you're half asleep, it's supposed to be change your life, obviously. But I know that some people in their more desperate moments wish that it would read just like that. And somehow through prayer, they could change. And you know, the truth of it is, in one sense, that is the only way you will ever change your wife, isn't it? It's through the power of prayer. Um, I, I want, you know, that, that little quip and, and the people who might resonate with it reminds us that sometimes marriage becomes a struggle, a battlefield. I, I listen to a lot of stand-up comedy, and the comedians seem to get the most laughs 
when they, when they give, present marriage in the context of the battle of the sexes and talk about how guys always do certain things and all the women laugh in recognition and then we talk about all the flaws in women and the guys go, oh my gosh, it's so true. And it's hilarious to hear that. We hear a lot of rules that women might give, things like, you know, rules related to toilet seats and whatnot. So one of my mentors came up with this hilarious list of rules for the home from a man's perspective. Guys, you're going to like this. Girls, please do not write me hate mail. This is all said tongue-in-cheek, so learn to take a joke. Here's the first one. Learn to work the toilet seat. You're a big girl. If it's up, put it down. We need it up. You need it down. You don't hear us complaining about you leaving it down. Rule number two. Saturday equals sports. It's like the full moon or the changing of the tides. Let it be. And no, shopping is not a sport. And no, we are never going to think of it that way. Rule number three. Come to us with a problem only if you want help solving it. That's what we do. Sympathy is what your girlfriends are for. I love this one. Rule number four. A headache that lasts for 17 months is a serious problem. See a doctor. Rule number five. If something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other one. <laughs> That's awesome. Rule number six, whenever possible, please say whatever you have to say during commercials. Rule number seven, Christopher Columbus did not need directions, and neither do we. Rule number eight, although it doesn't apply to all men in our church. All men see in only 16 colors like Windows default settings. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit. We have no idea what mauve is. Number nine, if it itches, it will be scratched. We do that. Rule number 10, if we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing's wrong. <laughs> we know you are lying, but it's just not worth the hassle. Rule number 11, you have enough clothes, you have too many shoes. Number 12, I am in shape, round is a shape. <laughs> and finally, statement number 13, yes, I know I have to sleep on the couch tonight, but did you know men really don't mind that? It's sort of like camping. <laughs> All right, well, I just thought I'd start you off with a little laugh in case you were falling asleep. And, you know, those things make us laugh because sometimes they're a little too close to the truth, aren't they? The battle of the sexes is a real thing, but we don't believe that as Christians, marriage is meant to be a battlefield. Marriage is actually meant to be one of the greatest pockets of peace and happiness in our lives. It's not always going to be like that every single day, but that should be the rule and not the exception, that you walk into your marriage feeling sheltered, happy, protected, and joyful. Now, how does a marriage like that develop? I wish there was a magic pill we could give you, but the Word of God is very clear in God's design for marriage and, in fact, for, for relationships in general. And if you listen to these things and put them into practice, you will discover the secret to a lasting happy marriage. First thing I want to point out to you, let's read the passage together. It comes from Ephesians chapter 5. And if you guys will flash up those slides, we have the, the text for you there. And I'd like us to read it in a special way just read the parts that indicate who you are, okay? I'll begin. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, man, let's read this together. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of his church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, don't read that like you're ashamed of it. You've got to read it like you mean it. Women, read this with me. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church altogether. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You know, I think this is a very rich text. And I want to just point out a few things that really jump out at us from it that I think will help you along as you form relationships in your life. The first thing I want to tell you about marriage is I want to point out the seriousness of marriage. The seriousness of marriage. When you look at verse 22 and onward to, to verse 25, what you hear is language that's very serious. And even apart from a religious context, even secular marriage incorporates phrases like, till death do us part. Do you realize there's very few things where you say, till death do us, but you don't say that when you're buying a car or a house or any other thing. There is only one relationship that you acquire in this life to which you say those words. It's serious business. Now, the word of God only adds to that burden a greater level of seriousness, an even higher standard of conduct and expectation from the Lord. Listen to what it says. It says, wives, listen, ladies, submit to your husband as to the Lord. In other words, as if you're not actually submitting to him, because sometimes he'll be a complete dork. But you're submitting as if your submission is to God himself. Do you realize how serious that is? How challenging that will be for you at times? And then in case you missed it, it says also, by the way, submit to that husband of yours in everything. In everything. Now, I don't know if that has to necessarily extend to home decor. He might want to hang that... uh, that Bruce Lee poster over the fireplace mantle, and you're not going to have it. But it is a pretty holistic coverage that God gives us. And, and the husbands don't get off any lighter. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. That's a real polite way of saying he died a brutal death to express his love for her. He was not willing even to withhold his comfort, health, and life itself because he loved his bride, the church, so deeply it drove him to sacrificial death. You have to notice these are not conditional commands. Nowhere does it say, wives, submit to your husbands as long as they play ball and they go along with the rules. 
And it doesn't say, husbands, love your wives as long as they continue to do things the way you like and cook you delicious food. It says, basically, that these things are a matter of personal obedience between you and God. These are universal commands given to us irrespective of the performance of our spouse. This is totally different than the rest of the world thinks about marriage. Most people enter marriage and every other relationship with a tit-for-tat, even exchange mentality. I paid my money, sir, and I expect service. This is unacceptable. Send this back to the chef. And we speak in that kind of language about every relationship in our lives. We speak of getting our money's worth, of you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. But that is not God's picture at all of the way human relationships were meant to work. It is not even close to his design. God's design is freakishly counterintuitive. God's design says, never mind what the other person is doing for you. If you're back, it just deal with it because my expectation for you in a relationship is to entirely focus on what you're obligated to do for that person out of obedience to me. Now, that's not an easy thing to hear, and God raises the stakes so high, and that is why I value premarital counseling so much at our church. I have bled to make premarital counseling an important part of this church's life. You have no idea how many appointments I have all week. This week, I counseled five couples alone in one week because it's important to tell couples before they stand at the altar that what you're stepping into is not a game. This is not, ooh, let's go to prom. This is the most serious human relationship you will ever enter into. And if you do not come into it sober-minded about the seriousness of what you're getting into, you will regret that decision for the rest of your life. And I guarantee you there will be another person attached to you who will just as much regret that decision. It's a funny thing that desire has a way of clouding our judgment. When you want something badly enough, you're blinded to its faults and all you see is the upside. You know, you want that new car. You're like, man, at least three of the wheels are attached. It's an awesome car. I got to get it. You know, you're so desirous to get something, you forget that you're the one who has to live with it once it's gotten. And I see people being less critical and evaluative about a future mate than they are about buying a new jacket. I see people going to eight different stores in the mall, agonizing over whether the stitching on this one is quite right. But when a life's mate, oh, whatever, they're cute, nice buns, and good job, let's go for it. I'm optimistic. I said, do you have any idea how serious marriage is? If you just follow your heart and do not allow the standard of God and the spirit of God to elevate it to the high position it needs to have, you will regret it until the day you die. We need to see the seriousness of marriage, especially before you approach the altar. God says, be a good husband even to a lousy wife. Be a good wife even to a lousy husband. You better be ready for that. No one wants to hear you complain about a person you chose, all right? You can't be there, oh, what an idiot, I'm married. <laughs> Guess who made the choice? So the seriousness of marriage is in view here. Let me give you a second thing that we need to understand about marriage. And that is that marriage is about submission. The submission of marriage. Men really love verse 22, the one that says, wives, submit to your husbands. Some guys even have t-shirts that say that and they want to get it tattooed on their shoulders. We love that verse, but men, you got to listen. Back up one verse because this whole section begins with verse 21. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
See, this is the basis for every human relationship. It is what I call the principle of mutual submission. And if you do not see this in action in any of your relationships, that explains why that relationship is less than satisfying and probably falling apart. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And as an example of how this applies to every relationship, Paul takes three very common examples in life in his day, three relationships in which the hierarchy of authority would be without debate in his culture. Husbands and wives, in his day, it's a no-brainer who has the authority. Children and parents, again, in his day, a no-brainer who has the authority. In our day, pretty confusing. Right? And slaves and masters, though we do not have slaves and masters, we might talk about employees and, and employers. And in that relationship as well, is it any mystery who's got the authority? So Paul takes these three relationships that are very commonplace and where there's no question as to the way authority flows, and he turns those relationships on their head and he says a very surprising thing. He says, listen, you might think that the way relationships work is if everyone obeys the natural flow of authority. And yes, that helps quite a bit. But the way that relationships really work in the kingdom of God is that everyone, out of mutual respect for Jesus Christ, begins submitting to one another. That means that just because you have the upper hand in authority does not mean you are free from any responsibility. Everyone in every relationship has a responsibility to submit to the other people out of consideration for their reverence for Jesus Christ. Do you see what a revolutionary idea that is and how that runs against the grain of everything you intuitively know about the way human relationships work? Have any of you guys ever traveled to the third world and watched traffic? Or even worse, ridden in it, maybe in the backseat of a taxi, fearing for your life and learning spontaneously to pray in tongues? I mean, you know, if, if anything will teach you to pray in tongues, riding in a third world taxi will. And you look at, I, I've actually been in Indonesia riding on what's called an ojeg. It's a, it's a uh, motorcycle taxi, which is about the craziest idea on earth. I rode one with a video camera out the whole time. I'll play you the video one of these days. It's crazy because you see ox carts, bicycles, small children, pedestrians, trucks, buses, and cars all trying to share the same little space. You got three lanes across, you got eight cars trying to share it. It looks like total pandemonium, but the strangest thing about the third world traffic is it works and it moves faster than traffic in America. I can't figure it out. With our abundance of street signs and traffic laws, you would think we would have just flowing traffic. But in the third world, as crazy as it all looks, I never really stop moving. It's remarkable. You just keep moving. And you know what it reminds me of? You doctors are like this. It reminds me of corpuscles in the bloodstream. These odd saucer-shaped things, tons of them flowing through this tiny little tube. But it works because they're shaped in such a way that they just sort of glide past each other. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like, oh, I'm big, flat, round. I'm coming up to this thing. But when I encounter you, I just go, yo. <laughs> It's the principle of mutual submission, of knowing that if this thing's going to work, if we're going to keep moving forward, everybody, regardless of size or right of way, simply has to know that I've got to make way for other people. If I don't, the whole thing will come crashing down. Compare that to America, where we exert our right of way with such vigor, and yet we see accidents all the time. Go ahead, it's your right of way. Go ahead, it's your turn. And yet there's car crashes everywhere. And traffic comes to a standstill. There's something to be learned about the way this works. That life moves when people make way for one another. 
When you just plant your feet on the ground and go, I'm staying or I'm moving forward, you all better just get out. Everything starts to get rougher. Isn't that true? Now that leads us into the meat of the message, which is the selflessness of marriage. The selflessness of marriage. You know, rather than giving us a marital bill of rights where it says, Husbands, here's what you are allowed to demand. And wives, here's what you are allowed to expect from marriage. Paul instead does not give us a bill of rights, but a statement of expectations. What he tells us is that marriage ultimately is not about what you're going to get out of it, but what you're going to put into it. And the key to every human relationship is that if you enter into it, thinking about what you will give into it, you will walk out on the other end having received more than you can imagine. This is what people fail to understand again and again. They come to the front door with a list of demands and wonder why they always walk out empty-handed. But you come into a group of people or into any relationship standing ready to serve, to give, to commit. You will be astounded at how much you get back from that. I have not really talked to Jeannie in the language of, here's what you owe me. But the woman gives me so much. I don't get it. And she rarely, a little more than me, but rarely speaks of things I need to do. But you know what? I love giving her stuff. This is the way it works with all human hearts. We don't respond well to people making demands, but our hearts naturally unfold like the petals of a flower to people. Oh, I was really sorry. <laughs> to people who come to serve us and love us. Think about the people you care about most deeply. The people you just know will be there for you. Aren't they the people who didn't come to get from you, but came to give to you? And you stand ready to lay your life down for those people. That's the way life works. So what does the wife give to her husband? The commandment given to the woman is to respect her husband. And the primary way a wife respects her husband is through submission. And when you think submission, don't think ultimate fighting champion and submission holds where you, and you're tapping out. It's not that kind of submission. It's a willing, it's a willing submission that says, you know what? You take the ball and run with it. This is your decision. I'm with you. You don't have to keep looking over your shoulder wondering if I'm with you. I'm with you, fool. You know, wherever you go, there I will be because we got stapled together at the wedding altar. You don't ever have to worry that you will go somewhere and I will stay behind. I'm with you everywhere you go. This in no way diminishes a woman's value or sense of worth at all. I don't know where we got it in our heads that for a woman to submit to a man is in some way by nature a diminishment of her because the way that submission in this Christian context works practically is this. A man and woman are equal in essence and value before God and before each other. There's nothing lesser about woman at all. Okay? Yes, we might be able to take him in an arm wrestling match, but besides that, there's nothing lesser or weaker about a woman. And so as equal partners, a husband and wife come together and they talk through everything openly because every decision that's made will affect both their lives the same. And so you talk through it. Just because it's your career choice does not mean your wife has no say in it or vice versa. Everything is mutual. Everything's on the table. But then after all the deliberations are made... And by the way, men, you should never feel threatened or, or lowered because your wife asks you challenging questions or calls you to defend your views. 
It's insecurity screaming when you say, Hey, I know what I'm doing. Stop asking me annoying questions. Those annoying questions are God's gift to you because she can see your blind spots. God in his wisdom so often pairs us with women who are in all the right ways not like us. My wife is the reason I'm not in debtor's prison. She's the, the smart one with money. She keeps us out of trouble. Thank God for her. And when she asks me questions about what's this on the checking account, I need to answer that question and not dodge her. I don't need to tell her, woman, never mind. It's my money. I spent it. Shh. I don't say that because her annoying questions are God's gift to me to make sure I'm not living in blindness and I'm accountable. The way I spend our money affects us. Do you get that? And so a real man is never threatened or diminished by challenging questions. If I believe it, I'll defend it. And if I can't defend it, I'll change my belief. That's a real man. Amen? Come on. Come on. Come on, girly man. Let's go. All right. So as a result, after the open discussion is made, this is why we need executives. That's why guys in in pinstripe suits get paid millions of dollars to just go, this is what we're going to do. Because you can discuss and research all day long, but somebody has to make a decision and then stand by it, whether it succeeds or fails. That's a pretty heavy burden. There aren't a lot of people willing to take that responsibility. Men, as husbands, as fathers, you are called to that role functionally. It's not a, a submission of essence or worth. It's a submission of functionality that says, look, I'm going to make this decision and I'll stand by it. I'll be the one who will flayed and taken to task if it does not work out because somebody had to make that, de- that decision. This brings a kind of freedom to the woman because she doesn't have to carry that weight around with her. But a man is actually willing to go, all right, I own this now. We've talked about it. I've taken everything you said into consideration. This is what we're going to do. And the woman says now, good. I'm glad someone took action. I'm with you. And if it fails, you'll hear it from me, but I'll still be with you. Do you see how that works? That's the practicality of it. Now, for that to work, there's a couple prerequisites. Remember those from college? Before you could take this class, you have to take these classes. Flash up those prerequisites, would you? The first is that the wife must genuinely respect her husband. You know why we have such a hard time talking about submission in our culture? Because I think the real problem is that there, aren't a, there isn't a lot of deep respect in women's hearts for the men they've chosen. They like them. They might even love them. But they're not completely convinced they respect them yet. And this is not just respect you know, in a basic human sense, like I respect your right to live. But respect like you, you are bound by a set of values that I am also bound by and you live them well. You are a person of character and integrity. I have no problem following a person who is like you because you are a decent person. Do you know what I'm talking about? It produces a real freedom in a woman when she can respect the man that she's with. And when she cannot respect his choices and his conduct and his views, it's so hard for her to submit to that. A second thing is she must genuinely trust her husband. You can't submit to someone you don't feel safe with. Someone who you're not, you're not convinced has your best interests in mind. And I'm not just talking about that smooth talk. It was always like, girl, you know, I got you. you know, it's not like that. It's, I'm talking about someone who demonstrates clearly you are very important to me. It is your welfare, your benefit, and your safety I care about. If you don't demonstrate that and your wife at any level feels unsafe around you, you will struggle with submission forever. So while this is a command to the wives, you see that I'm also alluding to something the men must think about. Are you trustworthy and respectable? Now, why is this so important? 
Because God has put in women or in men a certain well, a tank, if you will, that, that represents one of our deepest needs. Men have lots of needs, don't we, guys? They're simple, but they're, lo- they're, they're many. But here's the real need we have. Men have a need for significance and potency. Okay, you want to flash up that last little click? Yes. Men have this deep need for significance and potency. What do I mean by that? Have you noticed that all of history's great empire builders have been men? Have you noticed you don't get a lot of women going, uh, let's raise an army and kill all the people in the next country over just because we can. Women don't think like that. They don't need to do stuff like that to feel alive. But men go, hey, we got all these guns and all these guys. Let's kill something. Let's own more stuff. They look wimpy. Let's kill them. You know, I don't know what it is about men, but we feel this deep drive to be important and potent and capable. We love walking people through our home, not because of the way it's decorated, but by the sheer magnitude of it. Look at this. <laughs> it's mine. Look at the company I've built. You know, if you watch in the current season of 24 and the earlier, you know, you see the, what people will do to protect the company they built, the legacy that they've made. Why do men talk like this? Why is it so important to them for people to remember their name, to speak of them after they're gone? What do you care if people are talking about you after you're dead? Can you hear it? Do you see? But for some reason, men need to build stuff and feel important. And I don't know what it is, but in the worst forms, it turns into dictatorship and conquering this despotism. In its best, it is what drives men to build things that endure. It is what drives men to initiate things, to put stuff on the earth that were only in our imaginations before. Men do stuff like building crazy-looking bridges that are far more decorative than functional, but we go, wow, look what we can do. We all stand around and go, dang, because men need to. Now, here's the thing. That's our tank. It needs to be filled. And there's one person who has a disproportionate amount of power to fill or flush that tank. And that is your wife. I'm astounded how I can preach what I think is a dead-on sermon. I'm like, yeah, revival's coming. And then I'll ask Jeannie, so what do you think? And if she says something like, it's all right, I'm dead. It's over. I, I never want to preach again. I don't know how, everyone could be high-fiving me, even crying on the way out. I'm like, oh, the tank is filling, yes. And then Jeannie goes, yeah, it's all right. I can hear the water sloshing around. The woman, the wife, has an amazing power to destroy her husband with a word. But when you do this the right way, your submission and respect fills that tank that God uses to do great things for his glory. It's God's gift to the man to provide for one of his deepest needs. He'll do it through the agency of a woman. Do you see why that's so important? Now let's turn our attention. By the way, this is normally like three to four hours of counseling. I'm condensing it, so you're not going to get the full picture, but let's move on. Let's look at the, the husbands to the wives now. God says that the obligation of a husband for his wife is that he must love her as Christ loved the church. And the way that he loves her primarily is through sacrifice. That's the way that Christ loved the church, is by giving himself up for her. I see two main ways illustrated in this scripture 
that Christ loved the church and thereby husbands can learn to love their wives. There are more than this, but these are the two things I see in this passage. One is through what I call the sacrifice of sanctification. Now that sounds really boring, but it's actually pretty interesting. Listen. Women also have characters. And those characters need to be sharpened. But the way that the, the common stereotype of marriage works is the woman's perfect and she's always harping on the man. Right? It's like you women sometimes act like you're Teflon and bulletproof. Like, we don't ever need to change. Y'all, man, you got problems. And I'm like, what Because you say more, you think you do better. Problem is you're just as messed up as us. Okay? And I'm not saying that just to even the score. It's true. You're so messed up. Now, just because we don't bother to say every little thing doesn't mean you're somehow this noble creature. You're a fallen sinner. Dirty like the rest of us. Man, can I get a little more support? Leave me all your chickens like, I ain't saying it, man. My wife will kill me. You know you're thinking what I'm saying. Come on, right? So listen, women, knowing that, you have to be willing to grow in Christ. And who is supposed to help you do that if not your own husband? But do you know what? The way you respond sometimes, it's like the, the men have become cowards. You're so scared of your women, aren't you guys? Just admit it. You're terrified of your women. And you see this character flaw. I can see it. You're describing your wife and you're going, I'm so frustrated. I'm going, dude, your wife needs to grow in Christ. That's screwed up. You can't accept that because she's going to become a diminished person if you keep accepting that and just going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You could beat a man. You could actually make the sacrifice. I know it's going to be a long, sleepless night. She's going to cry and that's blackmail. And you're going to, you're going to be like, I'd rather be watching the game. I know that men, we're lazy relationally. We'd rather just flush it away and go, I can deal with it. We deal with things because we're lazy. And that's why I say it is a sacrifice to help your wife be sanctified. When you see those things in your wife and you let it go, it doesn't help her. It diminishes her as a person. Because what you're saying is, I don't care if you grow in Christ. You just be the foul, stubborn person you always are. And I'll never say anything because you find the one man who doesn't care enough to ever challenge you. Well, who will do it then? Me? I don't want to shepherd your wives. You do it. It is a sacrifice, men, to see your wives. I know it's scary. I know what you're in for. They will not always welcome it. And you will not be rewarded for it. But do you love your wife enough to lay your life down and speak the truth to her? Because she also needs to keep growing as a human being. Wives, hear what I'm saying too, okay? There's a second way, service. Christ served us. It says, just like nobody has to be told to take care of his own body, Jesus instinctively takes care of us all the time. He doesn't need to put on his to-do list, take care of creation. It is his very nature to love us and put us first, to really care about us in that manner. Husbands, this is one of the ways that you sacrifice for your wife, is that you serve her the same way you serve yourself. No one has to teach us about self-care. When anything scratches, we itch, itches, we scratch it. It's the same thing. You've got to be so aware of your wife's needs. Now, there are also some preconditions for this to work well. And women, you need to hear me on this. First, wives, you must be willing to respond positively to challenge. If you're going to punish your husband or your man every time he ventures to challenge you, why don't you resign yourself to be the small person you are now for the rest of your life? You know, women have a way of punishing men for taking a risk. Don't do that. When a man says to you, because I love you, i got to call you on this, 
Don't scratch his face off. Just go. So irritating. And you're not exactly perfect yourself. But I suppose I need to hear, just take it. You're not perfect. And if your own husband can't talk to you, you are a monster of arrogance. If your own husband, who you make babies with and sleep with, cannot tell you things, who else on earth can? Anyone? Who else will? You've got to respond positively when that man takes that risk. And secondly, ladies, you have to affirm every clumsy effort to serve you. So what if he's uh, trying to do the dishes and there's soap studs still stuck to every cup? And you're like, this is so foul. This guy is just mental. But he tried. And if you do not acknowledge and affirm that clumsy, awkward attempt. Well, men are simple creatures, right? We're like Pavlov's dog, okay? We do whatever we're rewarded for doing. Thanks for doing the dishes, honey. <sighs> Me do <too> again, <laughs> right? That's how men are. We're simple. It's not complicated. Just make sure each time we do that thing which blesses you, you let us know it. Because sometimes, you know what women do? You speak up when things are negative, but you never say anything when things are positive. Positive is a baseline of normalcy. You only speak when the man's screwing up. What does that do to a man? It diminishes him inside. It shrinks him down to nothing. It makes him scared of you. Do you want a man who's scared of you? Seriously? You don't want that. So if you want your man to be courageous and servant-like, fan the flame. He's a simple creature. It, you know what to do. You know how to make a man know he's doing right stuff. Amen, sisters? Use your imagination so I don't have to say anything crass. <clears throat> All right. The reason this is important is because women also have a tank that needs to be filled. And I know this is a gross generalization, but in, in general, I think this works. That women's tanks are represented by a deep need for security and priority. In other words, women need to feel safe and they need to know that they come first, that they're important, one of a kind to you. You know, I don't think that any man can succeed in winning a woman's heart by saying, baby, you're like one of my favorite girls. <laughs> you think that's romantic? You think that gets to a girl? You're like one of my favorites. No, she's got to be the only one. You don't say to a woman, you're like really average looking and I, I like that. <laughs> but you have to tell her, man, when I see you, I get cross-eyed because it's glaring. The beauty, it overwhelms me. I want to write poems and stuff. She needs to know that you don't just feel passively about her like, yeah, there's my partner or whatever. Okay? There's the person who shares my domicile with me. She's the person that you still feel nuts about. She needs to know that because that's one of the ways she feels secure. And you communicate that to her when you care about her enough to sharpen her character, love her enough to help her grow, and you serve her as if she's a priority in your life. Now, let me flip the script a little bit too. With each of these commands given to husbands and wives, there is a reverse corollary that is spoken between the lines in silence. Let me break that down to you. If wives are called to love their husbands, if you read between the lines, what does that tell the wife she must be? Say it with me. Lovable. If a wife is supposed to love his, if a husband is supposed to love his wife, it really helps if the wife's not going, I dare you to love me now. If she says, here, I will do everything in my power to help you obey the Lord in loving me by being lovable, that's partnership. That's mutual. It's not about challenging each other to do our best 
if you can. And if women are called to respect you men through submission, what does God tell you between the lines you are supposed to be? Respectable. That means even the guys in your life have to look up to you. You've got to be a man of integrity and character. You have to be this kind of person who is worthy of the respect that you're demanding. Only small men shout out, respect me. Real men don't need to say it. It comes. Who we are must command respect, not our mouths clamoring. You better respect me. If you're saying that you're not worthy of respect, who has to beg for respect? Who has to hurt someone to get respect? That is so childish. We outgrow that in grade school when we stop fighting each other in the playground because somebody dissed me. If you want real respect, you don't have to fight for it or go out there and get it. It will come when you become a man worthy of respect. And let the Lord say that to you, man. Please, you need to hear it. Amen? Let me show you a diagram that makes all this somewhat clear in case you're visual. Click one more time, please. So, the woman has a tank that needs to be filled, and she then, through her respecting through submission, fills the husband's tank of significance and potency. And if you click one more time, we return the favor by loving our wives and filling their security and priority tank. This is the way God's design for marriage must work. And if I could have complicated that with two more arrows, we would have respectability and lovability going in opposite directions. This is what we transact in marriage. But do you understand that this is how it works in every human relationship? So let me give you one final illustration that will put this, this, these principles into practice. Can you flip that next slide? Do you know what that is? If you're Asian, even if you're not Asian, that's a pretty familiar symbol. It's the yin and the yang. It's, though this is very simplified, it's a Taoist symbol of constant balance and harmony in the universe as two opposite things live in constant tension and motion so that the universe works. This is why Taoists welcome darkness as well as light. They don't see one as good and the other as bad. They just say everything must exist in balance in the universe. So when there's a tragedy, they say they'll take it because eventually the universe will self-correct and goodness will come as well and everything will balance. Well, that's a pretty ridiculous view of the world, so I'm not proposing that we take a Taoist view of the universe, but I want to hijack that symbol, because I love that symbol. You know what it's, you know what it's supposed to depict? A black fish and a white fish forever in, in, encircling each other, chasing one another's tail in constant motion. And as long as the black fish keeps chasing the tail of the white fish, and vice versa, the universe stays harmonious. Do you get that? Do you see how awesome a picture that is of marriage? And just in case you have no power of imagination, let's click to the next one. That's what it's supposed to look like right there. All right? See the heart in the man and the woman? And they're joining hands. And forever, they are chasing each other's tails. And no, don't take the baser understanding of that phrase. This is what it means. It means I will focus entirely as my life's mission on meeting your needs and filling your tank. I, I really don't care what's happening with my tank. Do you get that? It doesn't matter if my tank is running low or even empty. My life's calling is to watch your tank. I'm like the guy who reads the electric meter, just going every day measure, uh-huh, doing pretty good. The way God will measure me as a husband is not how happy I am as a husband, but how happy my wife is as a wife. This is my calling, and I will not deviate from it at all, so help me God. This is what's on my business card as a husband. Husband, job title. Vision, make my wife happy. Fill her love tank. 
fill it as much as I can so that she's never made to feel insecure and unspecial. Is unspecial a word? You get what I mean. Not special. Run of the mill. Just whatever. The same thing is true the other way around. That the wife is not meant to keep looking at how, how she feels, but say, you know, my husband has needs for me. I'm not going to negotiate and haggle everything with him. Instead, generously, out of the overflow of my heart, I will commit for the rest of my life to making one man happy. So happy he feels embarrassed. So happy he starts feeling guilty. That's how happy I'm going to make this man. I will fill his tank and respect him, even at times when his respectability is on, a, on the low end, at low tide. It's like, bro, you're really pushing it, but, you know, I, what can I do? I'm your woman. Here we go. Help me, Lord. Even then, when everyone else is walking out, you're the one person walking in. You don't stand on the sidelines going, good luck, buddy. Tell me how it turns out. You are always there. You are committed through thick and thin to stand with that man. Now, here's the beauty of the system. It is self-propagating and self-correcting. If the husband thinks of nothing other than filling his wife's tank, and the wife thinks of nothing other than filling her husband's tank, what do you suppose is going to happen in the end? Everyone's tank gets filled. Do you see the beauty of that system? In a mutual encirculation of, uh, of, other, of other centeredness, of selflessness, as I commit myself to you and you do the same for me in that closed circular system, our needs will ultimately be met. Because while I am living to make your needs met, there's one other human being on this earth doing the same thing for me. What an amazing concept that is. Now, you know when this system breaks down every time? is when somebody goes, hey, 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 hold on. There's my tail, chase it. My tank is running low, buddy. You're not doing your job. And the minute you stop to criticize the other person for what they're failing to do, guess what you've done? You stop doing your job at the same time. This is why so many marriages and friendships spiral into dysfunction. Because your needs were not met and you thought it was important to stop and call everyone on it and make demands. But the best way to correct this system is to put your head down and plow forward and say, the best way to correct this kind of dysfunction is by loving the other person into correction, by serving them back into harmony with all of this. You don't think that works? This is not just theory for me. This is put into practice in our home more times than you can imagine. You know, we have frustrations, Jeannie probably more than me. I'm an imperfect husband at home, and she's not a perfect wife. So when we frustrate each other, there is some amount of humanness welling up. But do you know how you fix that when you say, oh man, I really wish you would do more of this. Even though that's in my mind or in my heart and vice versa, you fix it by putting your head down and serving your mate in silence. And you add to that the accompaniment of prayer and fasting and utter dependence on God. You'd be amazed at the miracles of change that happen. This is the same principle that Paul taught us about our relationship with God. When he said in Romans 2.4, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You do wrong every day of your life and you wait for the lightning bolts, but every time you look at God, he says to you, I forgive you, come back home. What do you think that does to your heart? Does it distance you from God, embitter you from him? It drives you to him even more. It's like heaping burning coals on your head, the Bible says, and you feel the weight of it and you want to do better because this person keeps returning evil with good and it's getting to you. This is how a wise husband and a wise wife, or really any wise person, handles problems in a relationship. 
You keep doing what you're obligated to do before God, and he will begin to work in that person's life as you pray. Now, I know it's going to take extraordinary faith to believe that's the way it works. In America, we try to solve everything through debate. We talk our heads off about everything, and we solve no problems. Just look at Congress for a perfect example of a bunch of airbags talking, 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 and fixing nothing. I know I sound really cynical, but I listen to enough political radio to know government's just not working, man. I don't care what party it is. People love talking and yelling, but they don't know how life works. This is God's show. God's design is the only way. If you don't have the faith to put this into practice, you will experience that crazy cycle of dysfunction all the time. But if you have the faith to trust God on this, you will begin to see his power as you focus on meeting the other person's needs and, and, and obeying God, he will powerfully change that person's heart. Do you understand why this is such an apt illustration for the way that all relationships must work? Mutual submission, making room for each other, forgetting about where your needs are and focusing on the other person's out of reverence for Christ. You'll be amazed what begins to happen in your relationships. If this is not happening in your relationship, begin to assess that relationship through the filter of God's word. I think you'll begin to understand why things are falling apart, and God will begin to show you the way out. Amen? Why don't we bow for prayer together? Ran short on time. There was a song I wanted to play for you. It's a beautiful song by Mark Schultz called Walking Her Home, but we're not going to play that today. But it's about, it's about a couple who meet each other as high school sweethearts. And the song ends with him literally walking her home in the hospital room as she passes away. And the upshot of this whole sermon series is not to burden you with guilt or with structures about how to do more. But it is with this heart in mind that we want your marriages and your relationships to be joyful. We want them to work. We want you to go the distance. I don't want to see anyone in this church divorce, give up, quit. What I want to see is you cross the finish line together. That doesn't just happen by magic. It happens as we build our marriages and our lives by God's design. I'm going to challenge you in prayer through wherever this may have struck you to make some commitments before God about yourself, never mind your mate or your partner about yourself as a person, whether you can live in a relationship in this way by God's design and ask for his help in it. Let's pray together and the praise team will lead.